The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. So this, this book, Mark, is written by one of Jesus' followers, and his particular account of Jesus' life is looking at what it means to actually have faith in Jesus and follow him. This is kind of Mark's main theme. It's all about this is what faith actually looks like in practice. This is what it actually looks like to follow Jesus. And so he tries to kind of put all these different stories and things together to show us who Jesus is, what he has said, and what it means to follow him and put faith in him. And so in this particular passage, uh, we're highlighting one story, but in our preaching outline, it's actually two whole chapters we're supposed to be covering. And the beginning of it is Mark 8.22, which starts off with a miracle of someone who is blind being able to see. Then at the end, after this particular passage, it ends with another miracle, the same thing, which is someone who is blind being able to see. And in between those two things, Mark is trying to say, you might be blind, I want you to be able to see. And so he's kind of put all of these different things in these sort of between these two bookends. And I think this particular story in Mark 10, 17 to 31 sums up everything that Mark is wanting his audience, his readers, his hearers to see, which means this is what Mark wants you and me to see. So we're going to look at three things that Mark has for us. I'm going to read this whole story. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, And then we're going to unpack three things. It says this in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. It says, and he was, this is speaking of Jesus, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And this guy said to him, Teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. And maybe you've heard this particular uh, saying before, but he says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Well, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or mothers, or father, or children, or lands for my sake, and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this lifetime, houses and brothers and sisters, mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first." This is one of the harder sayings that Jesus has uh, said in the Bible. It's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's, um, 
It's a difficult saying, but I think there's a lot of things in here that I want to sort of dig through. And I think as, as we go deeper, we'll see the actual beauty of it. So I want to give you three things that I think Mark has for us. First, I think what Mark wants us to see is this idea of grace and status. Okay, so it says that this man run, ran up and knelt before him. Who is this man? Well, Matthew tells us that this man is young in his account. He adds the word that this is a young man. And in Luke's account, he adds that he's a ruler. Okay, Mark is kind of like your stereotypical man. He just gives bold headlines. Here's the big deal. Don't worry about all the details. That's how Mark presents his gospel. He moves very, very quickly. He doesn't want to get stuck in all the, the little itty-bitty details. So he kind of skips over a lot of things. But what we see through looking at Matthew and Mark is he's a young, rich ruler, right? And we see this even in the way that Mark presents it, right? So it's the idea, this ruler is the idea that this is some type of religious elite person. In his context, in the Jewish context, he's very up in the scale of hierarchy of what it means to be a good moral person. And here he is, he comes and he runs. And he kneels before Jesus. We're supposed to see there is a level of sincerity here of what this man is doing. Jesus has something that he does want. He sees something in Jesus that he realizes he doesn't have despite his morality and despite his wealth. And so he comes and he asks Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's really important there. Mark wants you to see that he calls him good. Now, we don't pick up this because we use the word good pretty loosely in our context. Good boy. Good girl. You know, we say that to our kids when they, when they obey. We, we say this, you know, they're a good person. They're a nice person. In Jewish culture, you tended not to call humans good. The term good was used only for God. So some of you have been Christians for a while. You may be aware that Paul, in some of his letters, will say, there is no one good, no, not one. What he's not saying is everybody is just pure evil. What he's saying is in comparison to God, who is ultimate perfection, ultimate goodness, ultimate holiness, there is only one who is truly good, and that is God. And so Jesus kind of responds to him and is like, why do you add good to me? Why do you call me good? You, you know that no one is good. That's a term for God. And so what Jesus is doing is going, you see something in me that you don't yet have. Keep leaning in, my friend. Why are you calling me good? What is it that you see in me? This is what Jesus is trying to do. And look what he says. He's a good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, again, if we look at this man, his, his life is built basically upon three things. One, it is his morality. He is morally wealthy. When Jesus responds to him and gives him like a bunch of rules, he goes, yeah, I'm good at that. I do all those things. I, I'm good at not stealing. I'm good at not murdering. In fact, I think if we were to read the list that Jesus presents, most of us in this room would go, yeah, pretty good at those ones. This man is morally wealthy and he's materially wealthy. When Jesus challenges him to give up his possessions, it's too much because he has, it says, much wealth, much possessions. In ancient culture, 
we often think that it's very, very different from modern culture. But if we look at our culture today, both of these things still matter. How many people, maybe even here, if you're in the room and you're not a Christian, maybe you have said this, that it doesn't really matter what you believe. As long as you're a good person, don't hurt people, don't restrict people. This is something that culturally we still uphold as being important and valuable to us. Our material wealth in modern culture is still very important to us. Uh, We have seen, have we not, through COVID, that if you have a certain level of status, a certain level of money, you can kind of have your own little COVID bubble that nobody else gets. Does anyone, has anyone noticed this? The NRL have their own bubble. The AFL have their own bubble. I want my own bubble. It's okay, you're allowed to laugh even though I have an ear infection. You can still, because that's probably going to help me here if you can give me some love. It's going to be like, oh, they can actually hear me. I can't hear me, but they can. The difference between modern wealth and modern sort of Uh, morality compared to ancient is that in ancient culture they put these things together to say that actually if you are morally upright that will lead to God being happy with you and therefore it will lead to God blessing you. So morality and wealth go together. We don't put them together in our context. This is the difference between modern and ancient. We still uphold these things as important and valuable to us. The difference is, is that they saw, be good, God happy, God prosper you. So morality and wealth went hand in hand. Be bad, God not happy, God not bless you. So you see this in the Old Testament, a story with a man named Job who lost everything. His friends come to him when he's lost his business and he's lost his health and he's lost family members. And they come to him. The first thing they say to him is, what have you done wrong? Obviously, you have been bad. God is not happy with you. Now you've lost prosperity and wealth. Right? Do you see that? So in this context, the young man, this young ruler thinks My morality and my wealth equate being good and right with God. And what Jesus wants to say is you don't understand grace. That is what we call law. Relationship to God is not about what we bring to the table. It is about what God offers us. It's about what He brings to the table. This is the idea that this man thinks you have to do to inherit. Do you see that was in his question? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit? Now, I never got to really know any of my grandparents. One died when my mum was a child. The rest on my dad's side lived in England. Neither of them left me an inheritance. I'm still upset about that, still working through the pain of that. I thought it was coming. Um, I say that because in general, we don't really live in a culture and context where we expect inheritances to come. A few of us have experienced experienced it. Most of us actually haven't. In their context, inheritance was the way of life. All of your wealth, all of your position actually comes through your family line. So this guy should know that you don't do anything to inherit. It is given to you freely by the grace of being in your family. You did nothing to earn it. You were just a part of the family line and mum and dad have passed on and that gets passed on and that gets passed on. So there's a contradiction of terms. 
And this is because he realizes that he's not in the family. I'm not in to get the inheritance. So I have to do. And I'm realizing that what I have in terms of my morality and my wealth is not enough. What do I have to do to get in so I can inherit? Jesus challenges him with with all these commands and he's like, yeah, I've done those. One commentator said this, it says, Jesus' response suggests that despite his moral zeal, something is lacking in his relationship with God. If no one is good except God alone, then the man still lacks something before God, even if he keeps all the commandments. Jesus' unexpected counter-question intends to move the man beyond the confidence in his moral rectitude to the ultimate purpose of his life, which is to know God. And Jesus is offering that and saying, come Follow me. Notice, too, if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've read the Bible a little bit, you'll know that there are more commands than than these. What types of commands has he left off that are in the Bible that that kind of like stand out to you? So, So when Jesus sums up the whole of the Old Testament law, one of the things he says is to love your neighbor as yourself. But what did he say before that? Come on, those of you who are Christians, don't be shy. What does he say? Love God, right? So, so the law is not just love your neighbor, which is everything he gave him. They were all horizontal. Don't steal from people. Make sure you, you, know, you don't defraud. Make sure you honor your father and mother. What he, what he leaves off is love God. So Jesus says, listen, there's, there's basically two rules. Love God, love people. He's got the love people thing and Jesus wants to expose his heart, but you don't love God. In all of your obeying, there's no heart. There's all hands. We see this all the time in how those of us who are Christians often live. It's so easy to be the Christian who ticks the coming to church box who ticks the serving box, who ticks the, uh, the giving box, who ticks the doing this and doing that. And God is not saying that those things aren't valuable and aren't important. They are. But what he says is, the ultimate thing is, do you love me? And this leads us to our second point, which is love and trust. So Jesus, looking at him, I love this. It says, loved him. This word look means intently seeing into his heart, right? Jesus looks at him, sees him, and it says he loved him. Don't overlook that. Jesus is looking at him and loving him. This is not a look of anger or disappointment. This is is an appeal from love. It's a look that wants to pull the man in from what he thinks is the good life to the true eternal life that he is seeking. And at the heart of the Christian faith, this is the ultimate God ethic. It is one of love. So not only is Jesus going to sort of expose his heart to say, you don't love me, but Jesus is actually loving him. And I love this about the Christian faith. If you're not here and you, uh, if you're not here. And if you're not here and you're listening on the podcast, I'm speaking to you as well. But if you are here and you're not a Christian, 
Maybe you don't realize that God loves you. Maybe you think this Christian thing is about obeying rules and getting God's approval that way. This is actually Jesus looking at him and saying, I already love you. I already love you. That, that's not up for debate. The Christian, the Christian worldview says, I don't love God because it's the right thing to do. I love God because God loves me. And he proves it over and over and over and over again. And this is important because when, when you read this book, when you kind of do the Christian life for a while, you encounter things that are difficult to hear, difficult things to comprehend. There is so much still in this book. I've been reading it for 20-something years, and I keep reading it. I'm still coming up against things that I don't quite understand. Like, I, I, why God? I have questions of why this, why that? But what, what, we need to, what we need to realize is in those moments when we come up against hard sayings like this and hard moments or difficult things to comprehend, we must come back to the basis of the Christian faith, which is God loves you. Therefore, trust His heart. When you do not understand God's hand or God's mind, the Bible says trust His heart. Trust that everything He says in this book that is difficult for you and I to to understand, particularly in a Western individualistic culture, where it rubs, we get, we get these different messages coming to us all the time, telling us about how we should think and how we should live. And then we read the Bible, it's like, ah, oh, God's saying something different. In those moments, we need to trust. See, the beginning of this story opened up with this. And he was setting out on his journey. Mark doesn't want us to read the whole story and miss that first line. This is saying, Jesus is on his journey to where? To Jerusalem, to the cross. This story is summed up with, at the beginning of the story, is Jesus is about to go and die on a cross. Why? Because he's a God of love. So my family and I have been through some difficult times. We have experienced many difficulties. And in those difficulties, we always, it's the human question of the soul. God, why? Why do I have to go through this? Why are you not healing the left ear? (laughs) Why do I have to get two infected ears at the same time? Couldn't we have done one ear one week, the other ear another week? Like, why? Why do we have to go through this? Why do we have to, God, I don't understand. And what the Bible says is, listen, we we may not have the answer of what it is or why it is, but we do have the answer for why it cannot be. It cannot be that you and I experience these difficulties, go through these hard times because God does not love us. He's proven it. On the cross, this is where he's going. He's going to a cross to die, even for this man. And Jesus loves this man enough that he wants to expose what's really in his heart. We have uh, some, some little baby chicks at the moment. We've got uh, chickens at our home, and we've had a broody chicken sitting on about 19 eggs. 
Uh, and every day, Carly and the girls, they go out and the way they sort of see where these eggs are at is they kind of pull them out of mum and they kind of shine a torch at them to have, to have a look and see, okay, yep, yep, that one's good, keep it going. You get a few eggs that, that have gone off or something's gone wrong, and they pull them out. There's the idea that if you want to see what's really on the inside, we have to expose some light there. And so Jesus' tough question and tough interaction with this man is not because he doesn't love him. It's because he wants to show the man what is getting in his way of experiencing true eternal life. And what he's not saying is this, in that in order to get life and eternal life, everyone must become like Mother Teresa. We all have to give up everything and sell it all. That's not what he's saying. In fact, if you read the New Testament, you'll see that Jesus encounters many rich people, many wealthy people, in whom he doesn't say to give that up. This is something specific to to this particular man. And what Jesus is saying is this is not about your hands. This is about your heart. You don't have faith in God. You do all of the things, but not because you love God or believe God and trust God but because you think that will get you, God. So Jesus is saying, you want eternal life? Trust me. Eternal life is not found in obeying all the rules or living in poverty. It is found in a trusting relationship with me. Come, follow me. Realize that it is your moral and your material wealth that's actually getting in the way and preventing you from trusting me, from following me. Your attachment to the earthly status and possessions needs to be replaced to your attachment to me. You lack one thing. Let go of what it is that you are holding on to that gives you your identity, that gives you your security, that gives you your significance. You have to let that go and cling to me and let me be the one who gives you your identity and tells you where you get your value, your dignity and worth. Let go of these things which you think give you security, which actually don't. It's an illusion. And follow and trust me. Because I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you. I will help you. Stop building and finding your sense of identity, security, significance in these things. Let go of them and now cling to me. Trust me. This is not a call to poverty or works. This is a call to faith. And discipleship. This should ask, make us ask a question. What is it that you and I are clinging to? For some of us, maybe it is like this man, and it is our wealth and possessions in which we are we are clinging to to say, this is what gives me a self uh, a, a view of myself as being significant and made it. I live in this region. I live in this house. I drive this car. My kids go to that school. For us in the West, it's easy for us to think like that. For some of us, it could be that. We're clinging to these things to give us our identity and security. For others of us, it's not that. It's, it's comfort. It's career success. It's sex and relationships. It's outward appearances. We all have something that we cling to. 
And Jesus isn't saying that the things that we cling to are bad. He's not saying that. He's not saying that houses don't matter or cars don't matter or where your kids go to school doesn't matter or what you look like and how you feel health-wise doesn't matter. He's not saying that. What he's saying is if you go to those things to give you what only I can give you, you will never truly find eternal life. That is found in trusting me. Come follow me. Trust me. And then look at uh, the third thing, which is cost and reward. For this man, the idea of losing his upscale identity felt too much to bear. And so 22 says, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The disciples, though, were also like, Huh? That's pretty heavy. Look at what they say, verse 23. Jesus looked around to his disciples and said, How difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words. That that amazes is like, wow, that's awesome. It's a different type of amazed. It's like, what? Okay. And then Jesus says to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Now that word children is really, really important because if you read this, just before this, he's just done an illustration of having children come to him. And he's like, children inherit the kingdom of earth. And now he's calling them children. Again, he's saying, I want you to inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to inherit eternal life. And then he says this this saying, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. Now, just a quick aside. Many people have tried to come up with different ways to say that Jesus didn't really mean this as in terms of a big camel going through a small needle. Uh, There's different ways that people get around it. People have come up with this idea that there was this special cave, this little gate thing that you know people in the ancient world kind of knew of, which was called the Eye of the Needle, and it was hard for camels to get through. Um, as far as we can see, that never existed. It's a good one. Uh, another one is that the Greek word for, for camel is camelos, but the Greek word for rope is camel. Uh, Sorry, cam, so K-A-M-E-L-O-S. And then the word for rope is K-A-M-I-L-O-S. And so people are like, must be an error. He must be talking about ropes. Again, look, it's a hard saying. What Jesus is saying is, listen, this is hard. When you have built your life up on all of these things, and then I say to you, come and follow me, it's hard to trust. It's difficult. And we know that it couldn't be these things because the disciples aren't like, yeah, we know what he means. He's just talking about the gate thing. Right? It just means a big rope. With an... It's like, no, no, they're like, what are you talking about? This is hard. And look at Peter's response. Peter says to him, then, well, who can be saved? Like, we're all pretty rich. Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Listen, this is the heart of the Christian faith. God saves That's what he's saying. This is what God does. God's grace actually gets in and penetrates even the richest, wealthiest of people. We see this with with guys like Nicodemus, who is this wealthy, prominent religious leader who comes to Jesus with a similar question, how do I get eternal life? And later on, we see Simon of Arimathea, 
one of the Sanhedrin, one of the religious elite, wealthy, prominent. Both of these men at the end where Jesus is kind of finishing the story, we see that they are both following Jesus. So just for the parents in the room, just for a second, who've got kids that you are concerned about where they are with the Lord. Can I just say this? With men, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible. Right now, I have kids that are, that are just, my boy just turned 12 and under. I have no doubt in my mind that they love Jesus with all their heart right now. It's like they are just the perfect little Christian kiddies. should see my Instagram feed. In a few years, none of my kids are going to be on Instagram because they're probably going to be wrestling with questions of faith. And then it will be my turn and my wife's turn and our turn to start asking the questions of, do we trust God with our children? There are friends and family members that you have that you are praying for. You're like, I don't know if God can save him. Yes, he can, because this is what God does. He saves people. Now, we don't know what happens with this man, but we do know that it's not impossible for God to save him. Peter goes on to say, see, we have left everything and followed you. It's like, God, this is a big cost. This is huge. You're basically saying we've got to give up everything. And he's like, we have already. We've done that. Look what Jesus says. I love this. Yeah, Peter, you have. Don't just count the cost, Pete. See the reward. Don't just look at what, what faith costs you. If you're here and you're in the room and you're a Christian, we are called to count the cost of what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, to put our faith in Him. And it will cost us. You, like me, will lose friends because you follow Jesus. My wife and I have lost good friends. You, like me, will have people say horrible things about you and ascribe cultural viewpoints of the Christian faith and what it means to be a Christian, i.e. bigot. They will call you that. It's going to happen if it hasn't happened already. It happens. I get this. You, you must hate Fill in the blank, this group of people. You will lose things. You will sacrifice things to follow Jesus. Firstly, remember, he sacrificed everything for you. Jesus is not calling us to something he was not willing to do. He is not Buddha, who has gone on into enlightenment and left everybody behind and said, well, try your best to catch up to me. That's not God. God comes, he dies, he helps Jesus gave up his whole life to bring us into eternal life. And yes, he knows it will be costly. But look at what he says. There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. He adds in there, it's going to be hard with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life now. This is not a prosperity gospel verse, okay? What he's not saying is, is if you have to sell a house and you give all of that money to the house, to the church. Now, I'm not objecting to you ever doing that. If you ever want to do that, it's fine. What he's not saying is if you do that, God's going to give you a hundredfold, so now you're going to get a hundred houses. Okay, he's not saying that. That gets twisted. What he's saying is, listen, what you inherit is an entire family of people. I have lost relationships. I have gained far more relationships. My family is sitting in this room. 
You are my family. I don't just have my wife and my kids pray for me. Many of you this week reached out and said, we're praying for you. I have lost friends. I've gained a family. My family is not only in this room, it has crossed the world. I've gained houses. I've slept in many, many a home around the world where other people of the family of God have said, our home is your home. Our family is your family. What he's saying is, listen, you will sacrifice things. It will cost you, but you will gain far more for following Jesus and putting your faith in him. You will gain a bigger better family. You will be invited into homes. This is what Life Groups is. Life Groups is sharing the experience of what this is saying. You gain a home. You gain a meal. You gain a family. And then he says, and you will inherit eternal life. You will get God. And everything pales in comparison. And the man who writes this is the band come up. He says this in Philippians 3. The man who wrote this is a man by the name of Paul, uh, sorry, of Mark. And his friend Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 3. A man who had everything culturally, materially, morally. He says this. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, and if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, he's speaking of his morality, I have more, and he goes through the list, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Like I have everything culture says you've got to have to be right with God. And then he says this, but whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may be uh, gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, being good and obeying all the rules, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that's eternal life there, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the death. Paul says, listen, I experienced a whole lot of loss. I lost my entire life. Everything I'd built my entire life on was gone. And I got that back and more. If you're here and you're not a Christian, to follow Jesus is costly. It requires we have to give up holding and clinging to things in our hand which we think give us our identity, our security, our significance. And we have to say, I'm going to let go of that so I can cling to Christ. And when you do that, you get eternal life and it is better than what you even think. Christian, we we know this theoretically. How often are we tempted to keep going back to these things? And I just want to encourage you today. Let's put our trust and put our faith back in Jesus. That He is worth everything. 
not because we have to, but because we get to, not because uh, we're trying to earn His favor. We've already received His love and His grace and His mercy. We already have that. Now we can walk with Him, trust Him with our lives and enjoy what it means to follow Him. Why don't we pray? Lord, as we read this story today, there's some hard things in it. There's things that make us ask difficult questions. Ah, what What is gripping my heart that I need to let go of so that God can have my heart? Is it to love that person who is irritating and unlovely? God, that's hard for me. Is it to relook at how I understand the role in my workplace and my trust in it, the money that it gives me? Is it that that I need to reorient and, and put back onto you? Well, what is it that you are asking of us? And Father, I thank you for that verse that says that what is impossible with us is possible for you and so many of us in the room are thinking through things right now that we just don't think we can overcome but your promise is that you can do that work in our hearts we pray that you would do that work in our hearts Lord we pray that you would shine the light so we can see what are those things that are gripping our hearts and leading us to fear rather than faith leading us to love things of this world rather than you God, we believe in your grace. We trust in your grace. We ask that your spirit would continue to give us that grace to live. God, that we wouldn't just be disheartened, but we would see the reward. We'd see the beauty of what it means to follow you with our whole lives. To wake up every day thinking about you, loving you, being grateful for you. God, we pray that you would help us with that. In your name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Well, here at LCC, we love to do communion every week. We do this as a response to God's love for us. The fact that Jesus, on that journey to Jerusalem, went to the cross for us and He died and His blood was spilt and His body was broken for you and I. So we we remember that and we engage in a and sort of like it's almost like this act of just coming back to that reminder and being placing our faith back in Jesus. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, uh, we'd love for you to join us in participating in that. We've got stuff on the, the right and the left here. If you missed uh, your communion, you can just peel us two layers there. You can peel back the way from the juice. This is our way of just remembering and, and re-engaging with God again in faith. And so I encourage you as the band, lead us in worship. Stand with us. Sing with us. And place your faith anew again today in the good teacher who gave his life. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. 
Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.